soaking. As a matter of fact, I took the foot massager out of this my office because you were so mad about what it did to the audio. <laughs> Don't say I never do anything. No, my feet are not for you, Amo. What a sacrifice you've made for this podcast, Elliot. (laughs) So, Elliot, we have a lot to get to here on this podcast. And as we referenced in the last podcast, we need to get these things out quickly because lots of things change. This is not one of those off seasons where there's a long stretch in between activity. I mean, normally at this time of the season, there's not a whole lot going on. But this season is very much different, as we all know. We'll start with the very latest, and it involves the Colorado Avalanche and the New Jersey Devils. It is Ryan Graves, a defenseman off to New Jersey, Mikhail Maltsev, and a second-round pick going back the other way. So Colorado uh, essentially avoids losing Ryan Graves uh, to the Seattle Kraken. And we should also at some point here talk about New Jersey Devils and their enormous amount of cap space, which Mm -hmm. could even get bigger. Uh, More on that in a moment. But your thoughts on the deal. Graves, Maltsev, second-round pick. Very similar to the Arvidsson deal between Nashville and the Kings. Quite simply, just like the Predators saw they were going to lose Arvidsson for nothing, Avalanche clearly saw they were going to lose Graves for nothing and said, you know what, we might as well take advantage of this. New Jersey's situation is kind of interesting. If you look at the past couple of years, it seems as if every offseason they add another defenseman. A couple of years ago, it was P.K. Subban. Last year, it was uh, Ryan Murray. They've had holes back there, and they've really tried to fill it through trade. Graves, I think, is a really interesting player. He's more of a, I would say, a defensive defenseman. He's not a big-time puck carrier. In Colorado, they had lots of those guys, so it was very easy to pair him with someone who could do that job a little better. New Jersey, there aren't as many of those types of players, so it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see how he fits. But the Devils definitely want to create some more edge around them, and Graves certainly does that. When you look at that Devils back end as well, too, I mean, the whole thing is going to be, and we'll get to Subban here in a second, but essentially built around two players as I see it, Ty Smith and Damon Severson. Agree or disagree? I would agree with that. But, you know, I thought they made a really good gamble on Siegenthaler, who they traded for from Washington. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that's a good bet for them. And Graves has some term. I think that's also a good bet for them. If you're looking at the kinds of chances that the Devils are trying to take here, I think it makes a lot of sense for what they're trying to do. Let me ask you about New Jersey before we get to the Colorado Avalanche side of this and the Gabriel Landeskog discussion. The New Jersey Devils have $31.5 million worth of cap space, according Mm -hmm. to Cap Friendly right now. One thing before we address that, do we anticipate P.K. Subban being exposed in the Seattle expansion draft here? I think it's possible. It sounds like they're going Severson, Graves, and Siegenthaler. Smith, who you mentioned, is exempt. Yeah. So that would not only leave Subban exposed, it would leave Will Butcher exposed too, and a couple of their pending UFAs. So I I think it looks that way. Unless they pull a 4-4-1 surprise here or something like that, Mm -hmm. I definitely think it looks like that. Well, we've talked plenty about teams with a lot of cap space and how they can be essentially staging teams for trades or facilitators for trades. They can retain money, pick up assets, draft picks, prospects, etc. Do we know if that's something desirable 
for the New Jersey Devils. There's a lot of money to play with here. I mean, they could really help move this thing forward if they're willing to, quote unquote, eat some questionable contracts. Well, I think the other thing too is I I do think they legitimately want to improve and take a run. I don't think for them this is simply going to be about eating deals to help out other teams. When you go out and you get a guy like Graves or some of the guys they've gone after in previous years, it's about trying to get better for them themselves. I, I think they want functionality here. You know, we talked about the Vegas goaltending, and I think Leonard is a guy they're kind of looking at. Fleury's got one more year. You know, who knows what you know he's going to be looking at in a year. Leonard's got some term to him. That one makes a bit of sense for me for Jersey. The definite feeling about the Golden Knights is they want to open up some cap room. The Devils can do that. They can take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's simply going to be, hey, we're going to use our cap space to help other people get out of theirs. I think it's, hey, we're going to use our cap space. And if you want us to take someone, you may have to pay us, but... We also want to try to get better. And I think ultimately that's what the Devils are trying to do. To the Colorado side of things now, where is this organization at? I mean, all of this is under the umbrella of the expansion draft on the horizon. Gabriel Landeskog, the two sides are still apart as free agency approaches towards the end of the month on July 28th. Uh, Landeskog himself has said, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, disappointed that we're at this spot now. Would have loved this to have been done later. You know, part of the reality, as we've talked about before, for the Avalanche, uh, Kale McCarr, Philip Grubauer, if they intend to keep him, is due a new contract. And looming large over all of it is a contract in the future for Nathan McKinnon, which will probably be a whopper as well. Yeah. What is the story of Colorado right now, Elliot? Well, the biggest story for me with Colorado right now is the captain, and, and that's Landeskog, and, and he's hurting right now. I think he's disappointed, and to me, what I understand the issue is, is term. I think Landeskog would like a deal that would wrap him up in Colorado, potentially to the end of his career. Like, who knows? He might still want to play when he's in his mid-30s. You know, what's Phil Esposito's old line? Don't ask me about tomorrow. I might get hit by a bus. Yeah. So we don't know what's going to happen. But I think Gabriel Landeskog wants a max term deal, or if not, 8-7. I, I think that's what he wants from Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I think the Avalanche, to this point, have avoided that. I don't think there's been a lot of conversation. We'll see what happens in the you know 24 hours before the roster freeze and the protection lists have to be in. But... You know, he's clearly been hurt by the fact there hasn't been a lot of talk. I don't think they've been really close on term. You know, I was on Hockey Central with you earlier on Thursday, and I really thought that a good comparable, if not the exact comparable, is Anders Lee, who got seven times seven from uh, the Islanders. Like, to me, that was the most obvious kind of comparable. I don't think it's there. And, you know, the biggest challenge at this time of year is with this is, how emotional does it get? You know, Landeskog loves being an avalanche. He clearly cares about the team and the organization, but he's hurt right now. And anybody who has ever been in that position, when the clock is ticking on big decisions and emotion gets into it, it's 
difficult. It's challenging. It adds a level. Like sometimes you can talk someone back from that Mm -hmm. and other times you can't. And they start to say, you know what? Forget this. I want to see what else is out there. So I don't like to say things are over. I don't ever like to say things are over, but I do think Landeskog is hurting. And I think Colorado has some work to do here. And one of the biggest decisions they're going to have to make is, are they willing to go to max term? Because I think he wants that. When you mentioned a second ago with the Anders Lee contract, the seven by seven, and that seems to be ballpark here for Gabriel Landeskog, but they're not there yet. Do you mean the $7 million or the seven-year term or both? Jeff, it's a great question. It's difficult to answer because nobody will talk about it, obviously, right now while it's still hot. like Nobody will ever say, this is it right now. I think the issue is that Landeskog made it very clear that he wanted term from the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to know that in his mid through his mid thirties, he was going to be in Colorado or given the best opportunity to remain in Colorado. Just, just so our listeners understand, too, he's twenty eight years old and he's looking for a contract yes. that'll take him to thirty six. I think he's been looking for seven or eight. Okay. Okay. So if that happened, if they got to eight years, I don't think it was until very recently. So initially, I think the problem was the term wasn't there. And if they got to eight, then I don't think the number was there. But I don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. Like people have told me that they're not close. And now we'll see what Colorado does. Do they make a big last second run to fix this and mend the problem? Or you saw his quotes. Oh, yeah. You know what this kind of reminds me of, Jeff, is... At the beginning of the season, you'll remember there was that one-day flare-up with the Montreal Canadiens and Brendan Gallagher. So Montreal goes out and they trade for Anderson and they give Anderson the big extension and they're talking to Gallagher and there was a miscommunication and all of a sudden Gallagher doesn't think he's getting his deal. And he's upset and it gets out there that he's very upset. And then later that day, they come back and they get the deal done. And Mark Bergevin comes out and throws himself on his sword and says, that's my fault. There was a miscommunication. I would never let that happen. It shows you how quickly things can turn around. The difference here is that Colorado is not that close with Landeskog as Montreal was with Gallagher. And... You know, Joe Sackick, I think he's going to have to work some magic here. I think he's going to have to smooth this out. But there's no question this has gone a lot longer than Landeskog thought, hoped, or believed it would. And he is a little bit wounded. Are you as surprised as I am that this has gone this far? Yes. I never thought we'd get to this. We thought this was going to be the layup. Like, look at all the players, all the uh, the pending unrestricted free agents at the beginning of the season. You say, okay, I can see this guy testing, that guy testing, this guy testing. I don't know about you, but I never said that about Landis Gog. I said, oh yeah, this one's going to get done. This is a putt for par, simple. Just tap it in. I am shocked that that here we are right now talking about this. You know, Colorado is a very analytically aware organization aging curve issue maybe well i I think that's that's kind of what it is like 
That's my guess. And also, as you mentioned, there's a lot of other decisions they've got to make. And it's one is McCarr and one is McKinnon. And those are going to be very, very big numbers. The other thing, too, is is that I think there are teams out there who subtly are not so subtly making it sure that, you know, Landeskog <laughs> is aware that if he gets out there... <laughs> and you know, number one on that list, I think is, is St. Now, Louis hold on, Blues. Hold on a second, yeah. Hold on a second, because I'm not accusing anyone of tampering. Because God forbid, there's tampering in this league. Because someone's going to run with this and say I'm accusing St. Louis of tampering. Mm. I just think that Gabriel Landeskog would be very well aware that St. Louis would be interested. You know, he's very tight with Ryan O'Reilly. I think the two of them were very close during O'Reilly's time there. I think they've kept in touch. You know, I don't know how St. Louis can really do this yet. Um, it would be a dance for them pending what happens with Tarasenko. But I've got to think by now, through the whisper networks of the National Hockey League, mm-hmm. that Landeskog is going to know who's out there for him. And, and I would think St. Louis would be very high on that list. And, you know, probably the punctuation to all of it, too, and you brought this up on Hockey Central this afternoon. Landeskog just skated all over them in the playoffs. Yes, he did. Other teams who could be interested in Gabriel Landeskog's services, and I can't believe I'm saying this, if indeed he hits the market on the 28th. I mean, who wouldn't? You know, who wouldn't? Of course. I think LA would have some interest. I wonder about Nashville having interest. I think there would be a lot of teams. I wonder about, I wonder about a team like Boston. I'll tell you this, it's going to be wild in Montreal if suddenly they have extra cap too. I mean, I know some people have talked about Toronto. I don't think they're going to be able to do this. If they can't do Hyman, I don't know how they're going to be able to do Landeskog. And get a goalie. I just think there'll be a lot of people after after Landeskog. And, and I do think the Avalanche are going to have some work to do here. I, he's upset. It's emotional. It's taken a long time. We'll see what happens. One of the sagas we're following uh, as we kick off this edition of 31 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. Here we go. Okay, so welcome once again to this edition of 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Lots happening. Um, I shouldn't say lots happening. Lots being talked about, Elliot. And we'll stick with a couple of Canadian teams here right now. And we'll uh, we'll start with the Maple Leafs. I'm of the mind that this is probably going to be a six times six deal. What's happening with Zach Hyman right now? Well, he's got the permission to talk to all these other teams, right? And... um... You know what I think happened? Again, nobody direct like none of the direct sources will talk about it. But the best I can piece together is like I think Toronto wanted to keep him and I think he wanted to stay. I agree with you. I think there's a six times six or maybe a seven times six out there potentially for him. We'll see where this goes. I think what Toronto tried to do, and this is kind of a guess, an educated guess, was they tried to max term it 
to bring down the AAV. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's too far from where Hyman's potentially going to go here. You know, I, I think it's like a lot of players. I think there's a willingness to leave something on the table. I, I just think the gap was too big of what potentially is out there or what they suspect is out there and what Toronto could do. So even though I think Toronto tried to max term it, I just, I don't think they were, they were able to get close. You see, that surprises me. The idea that Toronto would, would max term this thing. And again, I understand this is, this is your educated speculation, but you know, we just mentioned the avalanche and being an analytics driven uh, organization. And so is Toronto and the same aging curves that exist in Colorado exist in Toronto with the Maple Leafs as well. And here's a player who plays an aggressive rough brand of hockey, which can lead to injuries. And he's 29 years old. And do you want to make that type of commitment on term to a player where, you know, the history of these types of players aren't flattering for those types of contracts? I don't disagree with you, Jeff, but I think what that may have shown was just how much Toronto felt about this particular player. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can always do is try to make it so that, you know, it's easier buyoutable at the end of the deal, whatever. I guess it just showed how much Toronto thought about Hyman that they really tried to find a way. And I, I just unfortunately don't think it ever got close. You know, the um, the other speculation is that Edmondson, I mean, there's a number of teams that'd be interested. Edmondson was one of the first ones that popped up. And my first thought was, you know, what type of good did Zach Hyman do in a previous life to be able to play with Austin Matthews and maybe Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl in this life? Do we know if there's still interest from Edmonton? I think Edmonton's one of the teams in there. You know, I know there were some reports in Vancouver that the Canucks are there too. I'd just like to talk about the Canucks for a quick sec. Sure. Number one, I do think the Canucks are looking for that kind of a player. I think they have some interest in in Jaden Schwartz. I don't think they're the only ones. You know, there's going to be a few other teams looking at Schwartz. Like, I wonder, for example, if Landis Gog leaves, if Colorado goes there, or maybe L.A. goes there, or he goes back to St. Louis. I mean, th- those are all possibilities for him. But the other thing about Vancouver I-, I wanted to mention, where there were some Brock Besser rumblings yeah. on Thursday. This is what I think was going on with Brock Besser. I do think his name came up, but I don't think it's because Vancouver's got him on the market. I really think that it was Vancouver going after something they really wanted or needed and Besser's name came up as the price that it was going to cost them. And I really believe that if Besser was getting moved this year, it was purely because of a deal where Vancouver got something and we would say, oh, okay, now we kind of understand why this happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think his name is being thrown out there. I think it was specific to a certain kind of trade. So I don't think it's a general Bessers available. Let me stick with Vancouver here for one second. What's going to happen with Nate Schmidt here? I think they're going to try to trade him. They are trying to move him. I think everybody knows. I know Penning said there's no Nate Schmidt situation. And I guess it's all semantics. Maybe there is no situation, but I think there's an understanding that, mm-hmm. you know, he'd like to play elsewhere. And I think they're going to try to accommodate him, but they could have a lot of holes on their blue line. They're, they're trying to sign Edler. I don't know how deeply they've gone with Hamannick yet. 
there is a chance he comes back and ends up back there, but I do think they're trying to find him a new home. Let me get back to Toronto here then. Um, We just talked about uh, Zach Hyman. Uh, The goaltending situation. We've talked about it plenty. Jack Campbell is the goaltender under contract. He will be a Maple Leaf next season. Question mark about Frederick Anderson. Question mark about mystery goalie number three. Who's out there on another team right now? What do your spidey senses tell you about the goaltending in Toronto? It's a great question. I think the goaltender market's going to be really interesting. You know, with the Montreal situation now where they're, they're going to leave Weber unprotected and they're, they're probably going to lose Jake Allen. You don't think they can do a deal to get Ron Francis to stay hands off? I hear it's expensive, man. You know what someone told me? What's that? And who would be in a position to know that the, uh, the ask, and this may all change as the deadline approaches, that the ask for staying hands off of a player is a first and a third. I've heard it's been very, very high. Yeah, that's very, very high. <laughs> that's very high. Very, very high. And that kind of fits, but I, I haven't heard that. You know, the goalie market's going to be going to be fascinating. Like someone told me that, um, you know, like this Nadelkovich thing is really interesting. Mm. You know, Carolina has indicated that they think what he could win in ARB is is too high and you know, some people wonder if it's a pure negotiating tactic, but other people tell me they think they're serious that they'll only go to a certain point with Nadelkovich and and then they might move on. Anything else Maple Leaf wise? Well, I should talk about the goalies because I keep on losing my train of thought, right? Like this is not your fault. This is my fault. Like my flea like attention span. I keep getting distracted by something shiny. The name of this podcast is Cats and Laser Pointers Go. <laughs> it's, it's so true. It really is so true. Goalie-wise, everybody thinks Seattle is taking Drieger from Florida and signing him. Now, will that happen? I don't know. But people are expecting it. So what other goaltenders? Now, I I think Seattle is interested in Holtby, but not at the number. I think they want to see if they can get Vancouver to retain something or try something there. And then Seattle's undoubtedly going to take a couple goalies to see if they can flip them. Because if it's Drieger, we'll see what happens with Holtby. And Montreal thinks it's going to be Allen. And all of a sudden, where else could we be going with this? Didn't we all think, I mean, I I certainly thought that Anton Hudobin was going to be one of those guys. But then Ben Bishop goes out and agrees to waive his no trade. Right. There's another one, Bishop. You know, Mike Smith isn't signed yet in Edmonton. I think they're haggling over a second year. But look who else is available out there. I think Georgiev from the Rangers. Let's see what happens with Nedeljkovic. There's Mrazek. We've talked about the Vegas goalies. Kemper would be a real interesting one for me. Uh, There were a lot of teams that were down on him because of his health. Not because he's a bad goalie or anything like that, but just it's so mm-hmm. hard for him to stay healthy. But then he had a massive world championships for Canada. Arizona's worried they're going to lose Aiden Hill. Right. So I think that's why they're trying to potentially move Kemper. And then there's going to be something else we aren't even... You, know, you want to hear a funny story? No. Carry on. <laughs> the, I'm just going here. Here's the funniest story I heard this week. And someone said to me, it is right up his alley. So the New York Islanders signed 
Ken Appleby. The goaltender, the old Oshawa general? Yes. Big Ken Appleby? Yes. Oh, okay. So the Islanders signed Ken Appleby on April 10th. Okay. Mm-hmm. He got a two-year deal. And it's a two-way, but it's a two-year. He will be left exposed in the expansion draft. And someone said to me, the Islanders are trying to incentivize Seattle to take him. Mm. So he was playing in the ECHL previous to that deal and then played seven games with Bridgeport this year. And he got a two-way, two-year extension. And I totally forgot about this. And then someone said to me, why do you think Lou Lamorello would do that? Mm-hmm. So we could expose somebody in the expansion draft. You remember, this was all the talk around Vegas expansion as well. Remember all these guys that were going, that were sort of on the fringes of the NHL were all going to get NHL deals just so they could be exposed for the Vegas Golden Knights. And that hasn't really been a conversation around Seattle, but it very much was around Vegas during their expansion. And none of it came to fruition. So this podcast is coming out on Friday morning. 24 hours later, a little bit more than 24 hours later is going to be the freeze. And then on Sunday, we find out the protection list, right? Yep. I think Toronto's expecting to lose Kerfoot, Mm -hmm. but it's already been a crazy week. I don't think it's going to be calming down at all. Yeah, no, this weekend's going to be nutso as well. We got a lot to get to here and we're sort of slowing down. Let's get to, let's pick it up here and get some more things in. I can't believe it's taken us this long, but let's do it. Uh, the Shea Weber situation, uh, the injury, the ankle, the foot. Um, do we talk about a career you mentioned here on the podcast after I mean, you were there in the rink after that last game against Tampa, how, you know, Weber was very, you know, visibly uh, emotional. Um, you know, saw him, you know, emotional on, on television, on the bench, and all the players going over to him, we now understand why. What do you make of the Weber uh, situation here? We're going to get into like retire versus long-term injury and cap recapture and all those fun things. But what's the situation and what's the conversation happening around Shea Weber right now? Well, in a stunning development, Weber isn't talking about any of this stuff. Um, Shocking. You know, he's, he's very, very private guy. You know, you look at some of the players who... We're on long-term for a long time. Nathan Horton, David Clarkson, Chris Pronger. You know, Shea Weber seems to fit on that. Mm-hmm. The stuff he's done to his body, I don't think anybody is questioning this player is legitimately hurt. And I think if you look at some of the other guys who spent a lot of years on long-term, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't, if that's what we come to. I think the problem is, is that... Because it's happening around the expansion draft, the NHL is being a little bit tighter in mm. just approving it. Like There are other teams who are saying that this is total BS and it's just an attempt from the Montreal Canadiens to get around the expansion draft. And look, like I understand this is a competitive league and all that, but tell me that Shea Weber is going to be the kind of guy who's going to be the person who's going to cheat to avoid the expansion draft or the salary cap. 
If he can't play, he can't play. It's that simple. This foot problem was so bad last year. Remember, Nick, he reported his career could be in jeopardy. Nick was a year too early. And he was supposed to be out a month or six weeks, and he was back in two. I understand everybody's skeptical, and that's the way the world is right now. But look at the person in question. If you're not going to buy it from him, who are you going to buy it from? When you look at Shea Weber's history and you look at how Shea Weber has played and you look at the pileup of injuries, like I remember when Nick put that tweet out, I didn't doubt that for one second. That to me made a lot of sense. Like I can see that. We can all understand that. We can all see it. The question that I have here is, and it's the obvious one and it's the frightening one if you're the Nashville Predators, what happens if he's not allowed to go on long-term injury? I don't know. Like, I think we all expect it to head that way. You mentioned the NHL is being super sensitive about this one. Like, listen, I think this just sort of ends at the, at the, uh, at the obvious end of this road, which is this guy is significantly hurt. This is a career threatening injury. He's going to go on long-term for the remainder of his career. A cynic might look at it, and I'm sure to your point, there are a lot of people in the NHL that are looking at it and saying, well, isn't that convenient when you look at all the money that's already been paid in the contract and now we're starting to approach the back dive? But yeah, again, but I say the same thing. Like, yeah, I understand the cynical view of all this. I really do. But at what point do you look at the person and say, okay, this is his history And this is everything he played through. And he's not holding himself out. He's not talking about not playing because he's soft or he's trying to avoid the expansion draft. He's honestly talking about not playing because his body is beaten up and it's time. Yeah. Like, I think he made this decision a while ago. I've asked some players in Montreal if Weber told them, and they said, no, nothing specific. But you could tell the way he was carrying himself and the way he was talking, you knew. Mm -hmm. This is not a guy who suddenly come up with this plan to say, here's how I can help you avoid trouble in the expansion draft. He's been thinking about this for a while. Okay, so let's say that uh, Shea Weber next season is on long-term injury for the Montreal Canadiens. That opens up some opportunities here. In the short term, Listen, they can they can hang on to the three that they want to uh, on the back end. And after that, what, Elliot? All of a sudden, there's new cap space to play with if Weber's 7.8 comes off. You know, I don't want to talk about it too much either, but because I just don't know what's going to happen here. But there's also Jonathan Drouin, yeah. Drouin's situation. And now we believe Philip Deneau is going to market. Pierre Lebrun mentioned that on Thursday night. Bergevin's a wild man, right? <laughs> when he's got money to throw, he'll throw it. He'll offer sheet, baby. Come on, who's the next Sebastian Ajo? Here we go. He'll be like 2005 Peyton Manning going back to pass <laughs> and firing. Like the whole thing about Montreal's team is this move by Weber, the fact he's not going to play for at least a year, it changes the entire team. Yeah. It takes a huge presence off their blue line, and that blue line was a huge identity for what went well in the playoffs. And it takes a huge 
you know, presence out of the room. You know, Caulfield's going to have a bigger role. Suzuki's going to have a bigger role. I think a lot of their young players, their young, talented players are even, you know, Kakanyemi, even though he was benched, I still think unless they trade him for some reason, he's going to have a bigger role. That So I could see Bergevin, because this is just the way he thinks, going out there and, and taking a big swing. Like I, I said, Landeskog, would it surprise you if that guy got to market and, you know, depending on what Bergevin's situation is here, mm-hmm. taking a swing at that? No, nothing Nothing surprises you about Bergevin, no. Eichel, would that surprise you? I don't know that they'd be willing to part with what Buffalo would want to bring in Jack Eichel. I think it's Bergevin's whole way of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. You know, depending on what Montreal's allowed to do here, the NHL seems very uncertain about what it wants to do here. I don't know what that's going to mean for them, but if Bergevin all of a sudden has more cap room, got to sign Suzuki. Let's not forget that. And that's going to be a big number, but it's going to be interesting here. Here's a wild suggestion then, Elliot, because he's gone the offer sheet route before. Anthony Bavillier. Hmm. Lose in tough. Yes, he is. Lose in tough. Yes, he is. If you're Mark Bergevin and you have all this money and you just went to the Stanley Cup final. I think he really went after Ajo because he thought he might get him. Offer sheeting Lou Lamorello. <laughs> That's another one. But this is a week we saw Suter and Parise bought out, right? So God only knows what can happen now. Oh, speaking of Suter, you know my first thought when Keith Yandel got bought out was? Exit Yandel, enter Suter. Here's what I'm hearing about Ryan Suter. I think that's going to slow down until after the expansion draft. Uh, And then I think teams, when they have a bit more clarity about their own situations and Suter has some more clarity about their situations, that picks up again. Um, Do you have a thought on the, uh, the Panthers buying out Yandel? They wanted to protect Forsling. I don't think anybody is hugely surprised here. And I do think there'll be plenty of interest in Yandel. I I think he'll be in a situation where he's very comfortable to go to. Power play is important. Very popular teammate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he'll pick based on fit as opposed to anything else. So I don't think he's going to have trouble finding a place at all. Could you see Boston there? That's been rumored for... A thousand years, it seems like, right, Jeff? Yeah. And if Yandel wants to do that, now he's got the opportunity to do that. And I know a lot of people are always wondering about Taylor Hall. There was a time when I thought there was potentially a deal in the drawer here. I'm less convinced that's the case right now. We'll see. You know, I I think there's a lot of teams poking around on Hall. We'll see what ends up happening with him. Uh, one other thing we should mention about the Florida Panthers. Uh, congratulations, Anthony Duclair. Last time, does it all by himself. No agents required. Uh, this year, a three-year deal, $9 million. So uh, an AAV of $3 million for Anthony Duclair, who's really found himself a home with the Florida Panthers. Okay, let's wrap it there. Uh, don't forget, by the way, new podcast coming out on Monday. Taking us out today, a rock band from London, England, who've been putting out music since 2011. Their debut record, Enjoy It While It Lasts, brought the band a great deal of attention and a number of festival dates as well. Since then, Spectre 
has released a number of great albums, EPs, and singles from their extended play EP, Here's Half-Life by Spectre on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Smooth. 